Tatum, just get in the car. Hello, Sydney. Uh, hi. Who is this? You tell me. Well, I, I have no idea. Scary night, isn't it? With the murders and all, it's like right out of a horror movie or something. <laughs> Randy, you gave yourself away. Are you calling from work because Tatum's on her way over? Do you like scary movies, Sydney? I like that thing you're doing with your voice, Randy. It's sexy. What's your favorite scary movie? Oh, come on. You know I don't watch that shit. Why not? Too scared? No. No, it's just, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. Oh, welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. Welcome to the podcast that we do on <laughs> on movies and things. You wouldn't know it, but Greg uh, just had COVID. Mm. I know you're thinking he sounds completely normal, <laughs> like well-versed Polished. in podcasting. <laughs> Polished. How are you feeling, man? I'm like a polished turd. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, I'm on the road <laughs> to recovery, thank you. I'm, I think I'm about um, like a week and a half of symptoms, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, yes. but, you know, it seems to be everywhere, so whatever. What can you do? It has made me quite uh, foggy-minded. Foggy of the mind is um, what I would probably call the old COVID. Foggy of the mind. I saw something about that recently. Yeah. Like today I saw a headline about post-COVID brain fog to which I immediately think, oh, maybe I've had COVID <laughs> and that's why I am. <laughs> maybe that's why I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I know that feeling too. Had I not had it, I'd be thinking maybe I had it. <laughs> I would say it's foggier than what I thought foggy was. Yeah. I feel like this might be what baby brain, like when 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 ladies are pregnant, quite a, quite a common, I guess, uh, symptom, maybe symptom, cause, yeah. effect. Yeah. One of those words yeah. um, is baby brain. You probably had a baby brain. I feel like this, I need to, we need to, maybe I'll ask a, uh, a mother maybe you're who's pregnant. Well, that's the other thing. There has been some <laughs> abdominal gains. Oh, me too. Nice. That's so cute that we could sync this up. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh, also, friends of the show, you may, I mean, you can't really tell, I suppose, but first show of the new year, I'm not in New York yet. Mm-hmm. We've had some delays mm-hmm. on that front uh, due to not, not, not me having COVID, but just the whole world generally okay. having COVID and the rules that, that go in place on that front. But it's still happening. Um We've recorded a few episodes out of order, so I, I may say this a few times actually now yeah, that I think about yeah. it. But um, Time is but a human <laughs> construct. It's a flat circle, we're, man. We're bending time, you might We're say. time benders. We've always thought so. Mm. Always been. Um, but enough of that housekeeping. Mm. We're back. Happy New Year, all that kind of mm. thing. Happy post-COVID and uh, whatever else goes along with that. Valentine's Day soon maybe. I don't know. My mother's birthday. Oh, friend of the show, my mother. Turning 70 this weekend. Happy birthday, Jude. Happy birthday. We love you. Mum, we love you. And let's podcast. We're talking about Scream this week. We are. We we endeavoured. So our friends at Paramount kindly invited us to their um, their press screening yes. of the new Scream and we were going to sort of weave that into this 
episode somewhat. However, mm. uh, I got COVID, so we couldn't attend. Um, and so we yeah. don't have we don't have too much on the new one. Um, but it is. I did watch the other four. There you go. You, you, it's getting good good reviews, I believe. It seems like very much on trend with these legacy sequels, whatever mm. you call them. It just it seems to be a little polarizing. It follows on from the first one or something, doesn't it? I'm not totally sure. Mm. It does seem a little polarizing. So I think with these long term sequels, there's always like a, a pocket of haters. But overall, it seems to be. I've heard like it's a bit of a. Pardon me. Return to form mm. in mm. many ways because four was a bit of a stinker. Let's be honest. Yeah, right. Um, I haven't seen four and three. First two, great. This came out in 1996, which is a year we've done. It feels like perhaps ten times in a row at this point. Yeah. So I don't know if you've got a shiny new member berry for us to explore. But oh well, shiny is a, uh, a strong word. Um, I was just going <laughs> to look around in music. You know, there's a few songs in this movie, so that got me thinking about oh, yeah. music. Uh, mm-hmm. And it turns out a lot happened in and around music in 1996, Tristan. You don't say. Uh, yeah, that's right. We saw the formation of Coldplay. We saw the end of Fleetwood Mac. Uh, we saw the right. new edition of New Edition. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, they These reformed. These timelines don't sync up to me. That's crazy. Millie Vanilli, one of the Millie, oh, Millie yeah. and or Vanilli, he got beat up with a baseball bat whilst trying to rob someone, steal someone's car. What? Um, in a cool, cruel twist of justice, such was the time for Millie and Vanilli in 96. So there's a lot going on. Shit. I think people were trying to kill Madonna. Um, but Ooh, it, Sean Penn. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Yeah. Um, it was the first year that an Aussie band won the Triple J Hottest 100. <gasps> you go all the way to that boy. Was it Silverchair? It was not. Good guess. Oh. It was a good guess, but ah. it was not correct. Now, very quickly, Triple J's Hottest 100, we've probably talked about it at some point in this show. It's a bit of a, a cultural artifact here in Australia. Um, Triple J. probably on this weekend. Yeah, it probably is. Maybe. It'll be close to. Or next. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, Triple J is is like a youth, cool, ish radio station. Um, yeah, and every year uh, listeners vote for what the biggest song of the previous year was. Past and future guest Hayden James has appeared on the Hottest One Hundred several times. He has, he has, he always likely to appear this week once that's again. That's right. Vote for him if you still can. Um, you can still vote. Yes. Yeah. So started in 89, um, so we're about six years into it and people were thinking, oh, we're never going to get an Aussie. Probably weren't saying it like that. Was it Frente? It was not. Uh, Damn. It was in fact. I'm out of ideas. Spiderbait. Really? With Buy Me a Pony. Don't you want to be. How does that be? go? No. Yeah. I didn't. No. Yeah, COVID band affected my ability to hum it to you. It feels like a, it's been in a few commercials since then. Many. Maybe. It was it was the song du jour. 
Um, yeah. <clears throat> yep. Um, advertisers flocked for that snappy number. Whether you were selling a, a Hilux or a loaf of bread, you had to have spider bait. It's like an oak milk or something. <laughs> mm, or every, all of the above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that was the first one. Why not? Well, that's crazy. Well, if we, if we, let's just, you know, we can, you can edit this bit, but I'll just have a quick look. Like that was. <laughs> I mean, it's 96. So I wasn't at all tapped into this kind of thing back then. Not by any means. I, I was listening to fucking MC Hammer or something, wasn't I? Well, the first winner was probably deserves its own little bit one time when we do 89, but <clears throat> Joy Division, Love Will Tear Us Apart one, Smells Like Teen Spirit one in 91. So they were quite often big, you know, non-Aussie songs. Yeah. It's an interesting concept because typically it can be, I guess bands like Nirvana are big, but something that was like, too poppy wouldn't necessarily well, – poppy's not the right word. I just remember a few years ago yeah, because the world has changed so much, the internet and yada, 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 there was like this campaign to make Taylor Swift win, which is very un-Hottest 100. Yeah. and But there was technically no rule why they couldn't let it happen, but it just was very like, but that's not what this – Because they let not what this Beyonce is. or someone in. Right. Or – was that was it Beyonce? Because there's no official criteria, right? Like it is any yeah, song. Yeah, because they I think. Triple J's legacy was in you know it was a bit of ahead of the game in, in terms of its releases of music ahead of the commercial. Ahead of the curve here at Triple J. That's what the, yeah. that was their belief. Yeah, Cranberries, Zombie One in '94, Dennis Leary's Asshole that we've talked about. What that one? Yeah, '93, Beat Creep by Radiohead. That one? Yeah. What? That's crazy. How did you even vote in those days? Uh, facts. <laughs> yeah, fuck, probably. <laughs> wow. Big year for music, 96. Big year for movies too. Big year for movies. We've talked about them. What have we got? We've got, we got, we got uh, the full spectrum of from Independence Day to 101 Dalmatians. Mm. That have been a re-release? I, I assume so. The Nutty Professor was that year. We covered that. Jerry Maguire. We covered Jerry Maguire, didn't we? Jeez. We did. We're getting to the point where I forget episodes that we've done. Oh, man. Every day. Yeah. I forget them every day. <laughs> one goes in and one pops out. Romeo and Juliet. Uh, but we're not here to talk about those films. We're here to talk about a little film called Scream. Scream came out in December of 1996. At least in the US. We got a little later did. down under. 97, it threw me. I was searching for 97 artifacts when Tristan said, <laughs> yeah. 96 again, hey? Anyway, that's a bit of background <laughs> for you and what we talk about off air. little inside baseball. Yeah, a little, a little um, uh, um, Patreon nugget, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> if, that's, if that's what's got a Patreon, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. We're going to have to pay people. <laughs> yeah. Budget of $15 million with a gross return of $173 million. Dollary dues, big movie, big movie. Um, Now, how was it received, you may ask? Well, critics uh, critics generally liked it. Rotten Tomatoes score of 79%. Audience uh, very much in lockstep with the critics on this one at 79%. You don't see this very often. No. It's a a real uh, beautiful moment. What's it called? Has it got a name? What? When they're the same. Mm. Harmony, mm. yeah, that's kind of a beautiful thing. Feels low to me though, maybe. 
We'll get into that. 79, yeah. Because Scream 2, so the ranking, the official rankings on Rotten Tomatoes, Scream 2 is 81%, so Scream 2 beats it. And then number three is the new Scream at 75%. Mm. Scream 4, 61%. Scream 3, 41%. Anyway, we're not talking about those, not today. They, they get their own podcast at some point. Um, critic consensus for this one was uh, as follows. Horror icon Wes Craven's subversive deconstruction of the genre is sly, witty, and surprisingly effective as a slasher film itself. Even if it's a little too cheeky for some. Cheeky foursome. <laughs> cheeky Who doesn't like a cheeky foursome? Um, big movie for you, Greg? Yeah. I can't tell you too many details about why. I think I saw this at the cinema and I thought that I remember yeah. people cheering in the opening scene, which was funny because we were talking about this um, whole movie cheering oh, thing yeah. with that Spider-Man clip that's doing the rounds of everyone losing it when Spider-Man saves uh, Zendaya. Garfield saves yeah. Zendaya in the new one. Spoiler. Um, Spoiler. But then I was like, well, maybe um, my memory is just getting muddled up because then I started watching Scream 2 and there's all that's <laughs> screaming in the cinema <laughs> in the beginning and I don't know what's like, real. Wait, was I there? <laughs> was I on a date with Jada Pinkett? Damn. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Screamy, screamy. That opening is yeah. hard. I mean, oh, fuck. So. I think I saw this at cinema. Yeah, you did? Did you? So do you think you did? I think I did and I'm pretty sure people yeah. were like cheering in that opening scene. But I could be wrong. Yeah. But I definitely saw it at the movies. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I saw it at the movies with my mother. I think um, we've talked before about how uh, at various stages like pre, especially pre-film student Tristan when I really didn't know shit, mm. she, she helped me make some good choices and this was one of them. She yeah, right. that this was like a really interesting, you know, self-referential thing and we went to see it together. Now I may be getting my wires crossed on Scream 1 versus Scream 2. I definitely watched it with mm. my mum. I'm pretty sure I watched Scream 1 at the cinema or maybe we watched it on video and then watched Scream yeah, 2 at the cinema. Yeah. I'm a little unsure. There's something foggy going on there. But in any case, it was – it kind of blew my mind I think mm. on on a few levels. Like the whole self-referential Boobs. thing was just new to me. I don't think I knew what a, what a trope was. You know, like – it. It introduced some of these concepts to me, mm. and uh, Jamie Kennedy's character. Like I was like, yeah, I was like, oh wow, yeah, okay. I didn't know that this these were things. Mm. Um, although ironically, I guess somewhat lost on twelve year old me because I hadn't seen all the things it was necessarily referencing. But yeah, but just the concept of it was like I remember it being like pretty mind blowing. So a seed was planted that day in in what would become. A pretentious film student Tristan would emerge uh, years later. That's interesting. For the yeah. record, I was never a film student; just just acted uh, like you were. Yeah, aren't we all students of the theatre? It's very astute on your part. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Um, but it was a big deal, wasn't it? And I remember it was also the reintroduction of horror because there was yeah, you know, Freddie and Jason were pretty long in the tooth. You know, I know they've kicked on. Um, and even mm. had some resurgence with the Halloweens and things, but they were pretty long in the tooth at the time. Mid nineties, they were kind of on the nose a bit. Um, you certainly weren't yeah. getting any of the caliber of um, talent or you know popularity that we saw in this cast. You know, Neve Campbell was already doing stuff. Obviously, Drew Barrymore at the beginning there, she was she was having a moment. Big time. I got a bit on that in the rewatch, but Courtney Cox. But yeah, that that's a huge differentiator. I was thinking. 
not to jump too far ahead, but I was thinking it was a little bit like when we did um, Con Air. Yeah, yeah. And and this idea of taking a genre that, you know, hey, we love our action movies, but taking a genre that isn't necessarily known for the, having the the best actors mm. and sticking them all in there, like having John Malkovich in there, having yeah. Nicolas Cage in there, you know, all that kind of shit. And um, I feel like this movie was kind of similar, like the horror movies often low budget, unknowns, and they get all these people in that are like kick-ass. I mean, all the performance, we'll get into all that stuff. But I, on that note, I do remember even just the character of Dewey himself being like <laughs> mind-blowing. I mm. remember just loving Dewey so much. He was lovable. He was very lovable. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to contradict myself on this later because the timeline's a bit funny. But but now that my memory has been jogged, I do remember actually being quite terrified after watching this movie. Mm. I think the... I, I think we talked before how I'd watched all the Freddy movies when I was a little kid for, for whatever reason my mum was cool with that. And for whatever reason I didn't really get scared by that. And then this, I think just the ordinariness of mm. like it's just a guy with a knife, there's no supernatural element, it's just an off-the-shelf mask. Like that shit I think got to me. <laughs> yeah, which you're describing another film we can probably compare, compare a bit later perhaps if we get around to it, but that's... yeah. That's the premise of one of the greats, isn't it? Yeah, but I think even more so in this one potentially, but we'll get into that. Um, but also I hadn't seen that movie at that point, so mm, who the fuck knows. Yeah. But then I, think, then I think in the subsequent years though that because of the scary movies of the world, I kind of forgot that this movie was actually scary too and I just kind of almost thought of this as like, oh, that it's like a comedy really. Yeah. Um, these these were interesting uh, mindsets for for a rewatch because um, there was a few kind of mental readjustments that had to occur in the first ten minutes alone. But, <laughs> but um, the other thing I'd yeah. the other thing I'd quickly reference for my memory of this film was that's a weird way to make popcorn. Yeah, I don't think we ever had that in Australia yeah. or maybe not since the 60s or something. I was watching a Cinema Sins video on it and even they called out that no one did that then in the US. So I guess it might just be a, a artistic choice because mm. it works. But but yeah, <laughs> that always distracts me almost. Like, but what is that? That's a, it's a clever device, but we have microwaves. Mm. Um, <laughs> did you have a popcorn maker when you were a kid? Nah. Oh, uh, maybe it was like a fad. You remember, like oh, all these desktop Ma- kitchen single-use things. Oh, don't get yeah. don't get me started on those. I had a pie maker. It was the bane of my existence because I never used it. Yeah, I ha- I haggled my parents for this pie maker and never used it. And they used to never shut up about why don't you use the pie maker? Shut up! Yeah, forget it. The popcorn maker I got as a gift one year for Christmas, I think, and I used it like ten times in one day, and then probably never again. Mm. I think I got a pie maker too, and I never used that. There was definitely a couple hype, right? more things. Yeah, just it must have been like some technology or something, like the Teflon, or I don't know what it was, but something that just made these things so bad, makeable now. <laughs> yeah, the George Foreman grill uh, not is not one of those no, that got a lot of use. That's yeah, a kitchen. Yeah. That's a kitchen in itself. Oh, fuck, I might get another one. You know, <laughs> man, like why the fuck not? <laughs> why don't you tell us about the? The story of origin for this film. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good call, Greg. I'll do just that. Origin story. Thanks, Otty. This film was written by 
Kevin Williamson. Ah, Australian singer-songwriter. <laughs> That's John Williamson. I was going to make that joke and I thought I, was, I thought I was reaching. But, yeah, that popped into my head too. Hey, True Blue, is it me and you? Song. Is it mum and dad? Is it a cockatoo? Maybe he's trying to guess who the killer is. Is it your mum and dad? Yeah, right. Is it a cockatoo? No, everyone's a suspect. Really makes you think. Um, but Kevin Williamson we have talked about before on this very podcast on an episode based on uh, an episode based, an episode focused on I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm. Same guy, same guy over here. Oh, yeah. Also what the same range? guy that would go on to, yeah, the same guy that would go, well, hear me out because there is some range here, would go on to make Dawson's Creek loosely based on himself. Mm. So this guy is Dawson. This was written by Dawson. Old crybaby Williamson, they used to call him. <laughs> Old crybaby Dawson. <laughs> he looked 40 when he was 16. <laughs> got just the actor. <laughs> He's an interesting guy though. He is. Um, and I, I feel like we've made fun of Dawson's Creek before and don't get me wrong, I loved it growing up uh, mainly because of Joey. Mm. But... Mm. Uh, the dialogue in that that show is just absurd, but I think now I can maybe appreciate it upon reflection for and appreciate its absurdity. But Do you know um, who was underrated in that in terms of hotness? Who? Jen, the mom, grandma. <laughs> yeah, you have a type, don't you? Sally Field. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Zoom background is Sally Field, by the way. But this guy is actually very interesting. Mm. Because I know we didn't love uh, – I know we touched on this in I Know What You Did Last Summer, the fact that he also wrote Scream. But because we were so focused on I Know What You Did Last Summer, I kind of thought, I don't know, this guy, he probably just got lucky with Scream. But as I learned more about him, he's very interesting. He's a very interesting fellow. He also wrote um, The Faculty, directed by Robert Rodriguez, starring Usher and a few others. But Usher's in it. And – um before all of that, he actually like was trying to become an actor. Oh yeah, and he was in a few episodes of Another World, no, a different world, a different world, I think a different world, and uh, in Living Color, yeah, sketch comedy, Living Color. Uh, he was in a Roger Corman movie. He was in a few music videos, but at some point, for whatever reason, could not find the details. He pivoted to writing and took a screenwriting class at UCLA where he wrote his first script titled Killing Mrs. Tingle, which would eventually become Teaching Mrs. Tingle, another Joey Potter vehicle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this guy had a bit of a stranglehold on on, uh, on on my youth almost, like Dawson's Creek, Scream. These were very influential things at the time. Now, he actually had his big break off the back of the Killing Mrs. Tingle script that he wrote at uni essentially. He sold it Um, and he's like, this is it, I fucking made it. Uh, But he learned a lesson that day, Greg. He learned about a little place we like to call development hell because that's that's where his script would stay for many, many years and he's like, okay, fuck, I sold that script but I got bills piling Mm -hmm. up over Mm -hmm. here. This That movie's not getting made. (laughs) Yeah, probably, probably did. Put a fucking diamond in his tooth and got a rocket car. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he needed money and he's like, fuck, uh, what else I got? And he remembered actually he did have something else in his hot little hand, a little 18-page treatment 
for a, for a scary movie that he had called Scary Movie. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I think we all mm. know why that's interesting. And um, what I didn't realise was that was based on very loose, inspired by a true story. So he had read this article about the Gainesville killer. No, the Gainesville Ripper. Have you heard about this? I had a quick Google. Someone in Florida killing people. Yeah. Pretty heavy stuff, man. I mean, all murder is pretty heavy stuff, but there's some pure evil at play here, which a bit like what scared me in this movie, there appears to be no motive, just a fucked up human. Mm. Um, The Gainesville Ripper was a 1990 serial killer. Yeah, 1990 serial killer who murdered five students in Gainesville, Florida. Damn. He was executed in 2006, but his... His, I nearly said his work involved. Fucking hell. <laughs> his, oh. <laughs> his, um, his, his Craft. fucked upness, his, yeah, fuck, what did you say? Decapitations, posing of the crimes. bodies in various positions. Yeah, his crimes, his murders. Uh, and just these traces of pure evilness, like he did these things. And then, like, took a shower in the house before he left. Like, just things that are... Proper psycho. Yeah, in one scenario, he thought he left his wallet there, so he went back to find his wallet and then also just cut off the head of the body and, like, put it somewhere else. Oh. Like, it's just fucked up. And while there wasn't a clear motive, there was a pattern. So all all but one victim were petite Caucasian brunettes with brown eyes, which apparently looked like his mother... Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at your Zoom background of Sally Field right now and fuck, she, she, I'm glad she made it through that safely. Mm. I don't know how much time she spent in Gainesville. <laughs> True. Rightly so. Maybe Smokey and the Bandit were down there. They could have been. True. But at least she was with... Bert Newton. Bandit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not Bert Newton, is it? Surprise. Oh, I want to I'll Photoshop all Bert. <laughs> I used to Photoshop Bert Reynolds movie posters and put Bert Newton in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's art. That is art. Oh. Anyway, he reads this article. That night he gets home and the window's open and he, he has a little bit of a freak out moment. Uh, but it inspires him to write this thing. So he just sits down and powers out this treatment about, um, uh, about a woman home alone, taunted on the phone by, by a. Oh, and eventually killed by this masked killer. Mm-hmm. Um, he hadn't fully fleshed it out though, but like I said, he had this thing, he wrote it, it was an idea, it's kind of on the shelf. The killing Mrs. Tingle thing got stuck and he's like, all right, I'm going back to this. He he locks himself in a bloody hotel or something and smashes it out in three days. And um, in addition to writing this script that we watched uh, known as eventually to be known as Scream, he also wrote five-page treatments for potential sequels. Because he had this idea, to your point, Greg, that that at this point we were at, we were at a stage in the in the life cycle of horror and specifically slasher films mm-hmm. uh, where it was kind of dead. Mm. And so I think Excuse he saw an opportunity. Yeah, I, I think he saw this script as the phoenix that could rise from the ashes and and introduce a new era, an era where we get you know all, all these movies that followed, which well, I guess were all written by him. Like <laughs> like I know he did last summer. Mm. Well, there were some. There were some others. If you the, there were others. There was the Blair Witch, the um, the Japanese adaptations. 
yeah. The Ring and The Grudge. And there were like these other ones I was reading, the movies that you forget existed. I'm not even sure if I saw them but like Cherry Falls and um, Urban Legend, you know oh, those movies yeah, yeah. and it's, you know, you get some teen idols in there and yeah. It was like Final a, Destination. It was a thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like this new form of horror teen. I suppose. Oh, yeah. This I, a bit like Halloween and all the things that followed, like I don't think any of them were as intelligent as this one necessarily, but it definitely kicked off a trend. Mm-hmm. A trendsetter, as it were. A trendsetter in many, many ways. And so he was right. So uh, after a bit of a slow initial response, he did eventually uh, like over the course of like three days or something sell it to Miramax for 400 grand. Oh, and I should say, of course, Cordell, all of this is he's a, he's a – He's a horror mega fan, so when he decides to flesh this thing out, he really leans into the self-referential, genre-referential element of, of the film. Like, I guess that's the special source that mm. is throughout. Um, he, he basically wanted to write a movie that he would want to watch and, and I suppose others wanted to watch it too, including a uh, Bob Weinstein who bought it for 400 grand. Mm. Now, Bob Weinstein tried to bring Wes Craven in immediately and Wes Craven was hesitant because he was a little – his career was not in the best shape. I think the last movie he had done at this point was Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy. Oh. Um, which, I'm, which I'm really keen to check out because it's a I feel great like I maybe saw it. One of the best. I feel like I maybe saw it back in the day but I'm just curious about it now. Uh, and he, he was just a bit sour on the whole genre, I guess maybe – Again, due to where the life cycle of it was, he, he was felt it's in, inherently pretty misogynistic and he just wanted to kind of do different shit. And so Weinstein went around and spoke to some other people. Some notable names included Robert Rodriguez, Danny Boyle, George A. Romero. Wow. Sam Raimi. I would love to see any of them do a screen movie. In fact, why don't give each of them a sequel? Like that would be pretty fucking cool. Mm. Like just just see different spins on this same concept. Like they they would all have a unique. They're spin all that. good names. Yeah, it works. It works. Anyway, eventually Drew Barrymore hears about it and wants to be involved, and she gets cast in the lead as Sydney. And this actually got Wes Craven to reconsider because he's like, "Oh wait, we're doing like big names in horror movies now. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is different." He's like, oh, "Okay, wait, hang on, maybe I am dealing with something different here." And then it all kind of snowballed from there and, and really very much from from um, the involvement of Drew Barrymore. And the other thing that Drew Barrymore did that really fucking took this thing next level, which respect, I had no idea about this, she was the one that actually decided, you know what, I shouldn't play Sydney. Let me die in the first scene. I'll play the character that dies in the first scene. Yeah, nice. Again, something that was lost on 12-year-old Tristan because I didn't know who she was then. Mm. <laughs> but I suppose to the general public – she was positioned as the star of the movie and then she died. It was yeah. like a... And isn't mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. Um, like a Ned Stark situation. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> spoilers for season one of a show that came out 20 years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Next you'll be spoiling, <laughs> spoilerizing that Breaking Bad show. <laughs> um. So this was this was an interesting thing. All these interesting uh, pieces were starting to form. I, let's, I won't go deep into the cast at this point because I think we can probably talk a lot about that in the rewatch because they're awesome. But just in 
there are some interesting precasters that I do want to mention. So as I mentioned, Drew Barrymore was supposed to be Sydney. She pivoted to become the first victim. And so they needed a Sydney. Uh, Wes Craven, apparently a party of five fan. He's an interesting guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> invited uh, Nev Campbell to audition. She got the part. Yeah, awesome. Good stuff. Bailey. <laughs> this is the 13th time you've cried today, Bailey. What's interesting as well, because the same guy wrote, I know you did last summer, and the lead in that is also from Party of Five. Mm. So why didn't why didn't fucking Bailey get to be in the faculty or something? You know, finish so he, the Party of Five. He just you know. likes the girls. I just watch it for the women. <laughs> um, but when it came to casting Gail Weathers, it was a little bit different. Gail Swallows, Brooke Shields auditioned. Janine Garofalo auditioned. Um, Courtney Cox wanted it bad and she oh, had to yeah? campaign for it because, yeah, she did. <laughs> they didn't want her, man, because she's, you know, she's she's Monica. Monica. And she's all, you know, Monica-like. And this would be a departure, which is exactly why she wanted to do it, fair mm. enough. And, you Good know, she eventually her. got her way. And, uh, man, similarly, Billy Loomis, played by Skeet Ulrich, um, Skeet, skeet, skeet. What an unfortunate name. <laughs> I know, right? David Arquette was asked to audition for that role and he's like, actually, I want to do Dewey, which was a unique spin because Dewey was written as a big jock type and he had a whole different spin on it and they were like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Let's do that. Love it. Yeah, I love that kind of shit. It's so weird, man. <laughs> this is like the, the every once in a while – one actor comes along for one role and I don't care what else they do for the rest of their career. It's just perfection. Uh, more on that later. Um, <laughs> Matthew Lillard. Is it Willard or Lillard? I think it's Lillard. Shaggy. Like, Lillard, yeah. Like I think Dame. I got auto-corrected. He, um, he got cast as Stu by accident. He was just with his girlfriend down the hall and he got like his girlfriend was auditioning for some other thing. He got pulled in. For this bloody thing, they said, "Hey, we want your audition for us." And there you go, bish bash bosh. You're in the movie. One last, one last precasty um, before J- or it went to Jamie Kennedy, but it was nearly Breckenmeyer. Oh yeah, yeah. But Jamie Kennedy again, yeah, it's it's some fucking good casting in this movie. Mm. Not a huge Jamie Kennedy fan necessarily, but fucking bang on, it's just perfect. He's so nineties. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one more thing before I bish bash bosh this thing, the mask. The mask itself. So in the script, the mask was just, it wasn't that detailed. It wasn't explained what it looked like. And so the costumes designers went all a little crazy coming up with different concepts, very much like the story in in Halloween. Mm -hmm. And um, again, very much like the story in Halloween. Well, not so much in the specifics, but in terms of going back to basics, when they were location scouting for houses, in one of the houses they just found their mask. So it was, as a master was already produced. Soil, was it a soiled um, mask? Yeah, and they were like, oh, that's fucking creepy. Let's just get that. And so they literally bought off-the-shelf masks. They didn't even alter it. So at least with Halloween there were some alterations made that made it kind of a unique thing. But this is literally, that mask existed. You could buy that at, at costume Halloween stores, whatever. Mm. Um, so very, very interesting. And again, arguably what makes it a little scary. Uh, but if you're curious, it's the peanut-eyed ghost, apparently, that mask. Later mm. renamed Ghost Face. The penis-eyed ghost. <clears throat> yeah. 
Yeah. Little dick eyes. Yeah. Oh, dick eyes. <laughs> and then they, they change the name to Scream. Bish, bash, bosh. He goes off the movie, <laughs> rap party, down to the Viper Room. Yeah, yeah, this is a Viper Room scenario. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's play the trailer. Hello. Hello. Who is this? Tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, what's me? Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Who did he make the rules? The police are always on track, but they watch Palm Night and save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Funny, some of the like the fonts and shit in that you don't necessarily associate with Scream brand anymore, but it's very 1996, isn't it? <laughs> that like weird, that Funky, pretty little font. Yeah, what do you call that? Newspapery kind of. Yeah. Rough edges and all that yeah, shit. Yeah. Like Good trailer though. Greg, do you want to break this puppy down for us? Yeah. Look, um, I think most of us are probably pretty familiar with this. Mm. Uh, so we open on Drew Barrymore. Mm. And Drew Barrymore is home alone. She's mm. a good-looking girl in a good-looking house. Yeah. If you dub the dialogue, you could be in the opening of a Nancy Mayer film. <laughs> Mayer? Mayer? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even... I didn't care how you say it. It's great. That was nice. But we're not, Tristan. <laughs> she, has good, she always has good kitchens. You're right. It's very yeah, stood on your part. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, I follow Nancy Meyer Interiors on um, Instagram. Really? I do. Oh, interesting. But it's not Tristan and we're not and it's not. Right. That's a fact. The phone rings. In a sign of different times, she not only answers the phone but proceeds to flirt yeah. with this stranger <laughs> with a horrible voice. Hello. Yeah. The she call. doesn't even say – she says she doesn't have a boyfriend initially. Wow. Imagine if it was a boyfriend. You're like, yeah, this was a test. Bit of a strumpet if you ask me. Mm. Yeah, the old I haven't got a boyfriend. I'll just see where this call goes with this ugly voice. The call takes a turn for the deadly 
when Drew Barrymore fails to answer the horror movie, horror movie quiz correctly that uh, Sexy Caller has been playing her through. Yeah. yeah you do all right with your words there, Greg? <laughs> Killing it. Murder <laughs> ensues, Tristan. Murder! Oh, boy, does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are then introduced to quintessential girl next door, Sydney Prescott. She has freckles, a ponytail, squeaky voice and a frail, submissive-looking frame. The kind of heroine James Cameron talks about. (laughs) It's the anniversary of Sydney's mother. She does have a Linda Hamilton quality to her, does she? Yeah, like... Yeah, they kind of look alike. Terminator 1. Yeah. Sorry, continue. But they kind of do, yeah. Yeah, we'll come back to that because we were talking about it during the week. It's uh, it's the anniversary of Sydney's mother's brutal rape and murder. Now, the killer is behind bars, ID'd by Sydney herself one year earlier. Mm. But is it the right killer? Mm, and as the body count driver. grows, Sydney is quickly forced to question everyone and everything. Mm. Whilst the guy with the costume from Scream, aka this movie, goes about killing everyone. Adhering to the tropes of the horror movies that we know and love. Mm. It's self-aware, it's a scare, it's a scream. (laughs) Why didn't, okay, Friends of Paramount, why don't you get Greg to do the trailer (laughs) for the next one? Scream 6, get Greg in there. Ah, nice. I like it. I like it a lot, Greg. I think you really, uh, yeah, you really nailed it. Thanks, hey, right mate. off the bat, right off the bat, I, ever since we did Goldeneye, I've mm-hmm. I've always realized I enjoy a film mm-hmm. opening that works almost as a short film. So, like, yes, uh, from now on, I decide I'm just going to call the Goldeneye Award. This yeah. film gets a Goldeneye Award because that opening is just basically a. I guess that was the 18 page treatment initially that he described. It's just like that is, on its own is just like a great short film. I'm, yeah. I'm doing I'm doing the Italian kiss of the fingers here. Yeah, very ethnic. It's good stuff, man. Isn't it? It's got it all. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's so brutal. That goes for the whole movie. It's so brutal. Like I said, I think it's because of the scary movies of the world, I've kind of forgotten how scary that this was actually scary and I've kind of got the two kind of muddled up a bit in my head and like, mm. oh, yeah, that I remember that this like, you know, self-aware and that kind of shit and I guess I kind of just got that tangled up with it being just a parody, which of course it's not. It's still a slasher movie. It's still fucking brutal. Yeah. And that When might, her parents yeah. arrive back and she's like, oh, yeah. man, and she's still on the phone. She won't That's let go of that phone. That's fucking horror, man. That's fucked up. Oh, how's the rewatch for you? Yeah, mate, it was a treat. Um, and, yeah, my first point as well was um, how about that opening sequence? It's yeah, it's very aesthetically pleasing as well. Like, Yeah. It's just uh, it's a nice, um, I guess, juxtaposition of she looks beautiful in this beautiful house, yeah. all sort of a particular, you know, soft palette. And then all of a sudden, like the blood goes everywhere. So there was a, it was a good tension there, and the rising tension. Yeah, like it really just is this 
it looked out of place. It gets pretty sudden build, but yeah. But in, like it works, but, it, you know, that sort of horror is not, it's usually a creepy, you know, haunted house or something that's not as, that could, as I say, like yeah. I sort of joked about the Nancy Mayer thing, but Maya, whatever. Um, but it is, does look like the set of a different type of movie almost. And it's shot. It's shot. I don't know how to say. It. I don't have the 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 knowledge to articulate this well, but I, I think is what you're saying too. It's like it doesn't immediately look like, oh yeah, it's a slasher movie. Like yeah. it's, it's a well lit Nancy Myers interior. Yeah, it's it's a, a an A lister. It's some really quality banter, and then suddenly it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, and then it. Yeah. You're like, oh, and then it's and then it's on. And I think the same goes for the rest of the movie. I think that when I read some of the reviews, it's almost like they're saying that because of because of how it makes fun of the genre, it's hard to take the scares seriously. But for me, I think it's the opposite. And the fact that it acts so light and then is so dark makes the darkness feel so fucking dark. Like it mm. I think I was trying to analyze like why do I find this versus other things so like horrifying? I think that's one angle. Is just that it's it's I don't know. Once you're watching a Freddy movie, the whole thing's dark and it's all you know so surreal and everything's over the top. This is there's such stark contrast between the horror and the and the lightness in this movie that it fucking gets me. Yeah, it gets me. Yeah, it totally works. It's um that was you know from the get go you you're on board and you're in. Um, yeah, it was the 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 fashion. You know we're in. We're, it's interesting. We we talk about that sort of uh, purgatory that fashion trends go through. This one's kind of half one foot in, one foot out. I feel like the girls' fashion was on point for today's time. There was a lot of sort of loose fitting yeah, jeans, pretty and much there, neutral, yeah. n- natural fiber sweaters. Yeah, all looked good, except the the guys the, are wearing those button, the baggy button down shirts and things. Yeah, a lot of green. Yeah, um, yeah there is a lot of green and stripes. Why is that? Yeah, stripes. horizontal stripes. Yeah, and spiky hair and stuff. Mm, mm. The girls look good. Sydney look good. It's pretty much on point, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's funny how the men's and women's stuff doesn't come back in sync. Mm. But again, having said that, the girls weren't all, uh, what's her name? Oh, gosh, I forget the actress's name. COVID brain, um, the girl <laughs> that dies in the garage door. Yeah, Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan, sorry. Her yeah. outfits are a little... They haven't probably helped, stood the test of time as, as well. No, no, probably less so. Less, less yeah. so. Um, Dewey was was just as great as I remember. And it, I think, again, like the scary movie thing, I kind of forgot how great a character Dewey was and because I, I just kind of think I got it mixed up with Doofy. Mm. It's a lot more subtle than Doofy, let's put it that way. Mm. It's just it's what a wonderful character. <laughs> yeah. It's just so great. And then I loved hearing that that, that was his take on it. It wasn't supposed to be like he was supposed to be a bit, you know, slow or whatever. Not slow, but like not, your, not as good as he not as good as he thinks he is, kind of thing. That was, I think, the original idea of the character, like and, a jock that isn't quite as. And you'd expect good as he the thinks. jock as well, right? Like that's kind of yeah, yeah. So he managed to subvert it without sort of getting in the way of the overall movie. Yeah, what a just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then Dewey and Gale together. 
that is just some like weird energy that I just love, man. And yeah. that same music comes on each time. They're like having their little flirty band. I mean, it obviously was real because they got married after this. Yeah, this they met here, right? Yeah. You know, he was only yeah. like, he was literally 25 in this movie. Because I, I watched this with Carol really? and I was like, he's, surely he's, and I was like, he's younger? Wait, he was 25 in this. She said he looked 25. I didn't, maybe it's the moustache. I thought he was 40-ish. <laughs> the moustache is so funny too. It's like so oddly groomed. Like it's all these little touches. But yeah, he. I mean, he was auditioning. They wanted him to audition for one of the high school kids. So I guess he's supposed to be not too much older. Um, I don't know how old she was. But slightly. That she's, is just some, she's about seven years older than him, I think. Yeah, right. That is some magical chemistry that I feel like I haven't seen in a while, at least in the movies we tend to cover. Uh-huh. It's something, it's, there's some magic there, man. There's magic. And I was saying to Greg off mic before, my background is Dewey and Gail Weathers on Zoom. And uh, Greg slyly implied that uh, this picture of of Courtney Cox could almost be, what did you call her? The, the something sister of Sally Field? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, COVID brain. Um, baby, <laughs> baby brain. I said, yeah, the hot sister. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I stand by that, man. Courtney Cox, 90s babe. And I, I didn't, didn't think she was a babe in the 90s, but now in my, in my perception of what the 90s aesthetic is, she's like in that zone. Mm. Like her she's, and Jennifer Aniston, man, that's like an iconic 90s babe aesthetic. And then in Scream 2, you know, it only gets better. By Scream 3, she gets that terrible haircut, which even, hey, I'm not being sexist, even she admits was a, was a terrible haircut. Oh, the old, yeah, jagged little fringe. The whole cast, Greg. What a fucking great cast. Wasn't um, wasn't Wes really trying to find his next Johnny Depp there with Skeet Ulrich? <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm sure that was a conscious choice, right? Because Wes obviously must have discovered been. Johnny in yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 and Johnny Depp's gone yeah. on to be, a, you know, one of the biggest film stars of all time. Everything's a fucking reference in this movie, so surely that's like an intentional... His name's Loomis as well, of course. Skeet. Skeet. I looked up, I looked that up because I felt, I mean, to skeet in um, modern vernacular is to ejaculate, if you don't know. Yeah, correct. Skeet, skeet, correct. skeet. Just ask little John. Um, yeah. It's not a name you give yourself, but his nickname was <laughs> Skeeter, apparently, because he was, he would, I don't know why he was called that, but he was fast and wiry, apparently, in school sports. Oh, there you go. But was it, wait, is his name based on on being called Skeeter? Mm. It was a nickname. Yeah, Skeeter was his nickname and so he ran with Skeet. And then Ulrich Uh, is his stepdad's name who who raised him apparently. It wasn't his biological. Oh, so it's all lies. Yeah. Jeez. His family's big in the. uh, Where was he in 1990? Gainesville, Florida by any chance? He could have been because his family is big in the um, NASCAR circuit. Really? You'd be you'd be wow. surprised to know. Well, not surprised. I'm not sure. It's up to you how you feel about that. I'm, I'm glad I know. I enjoy that fact, I suppose. Mm. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm sure all the listeners are. You're welcome, peeps. That's <laughs> Everyone is now dumber from listening to that. <laughs> Should we just go through the cast real quick and just give them like, you know, little performance reviews? Yeah. Do you uh, want anything else you want to say about Skeet? Um, Skeet, he's there. I, he's really good. He likes looking down 
Like he bends his head forward when he talks, so he's looking up. But he's yeah, it's tucked. almost like I don't know if this was intentional so much, but it is almost like the like a I don't know. It's very teen hot guy acting, mm. like mm. but almost to a the point of parody. Like it's mm. <laughs> he's a weird little guy. <laughs> mm. Um, we talked about David Arquette. We talked a bit about Courtney Cox. Should we talk Nev? She's she's fucking great in this movie. We're big fans, obviously. Such a big fan. I I was reminded how much of a thing I had for her when I was this age watching yeah. this movie. Like, because even Party of Five was a big deal. Yeah, I hated Party of Five though because everyone cried all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to do that sketch on Full Frontal, right? Yeah. yeah fast forward. Always crying. Really? <laughs> I just can't open. My big beans. Um, yeah, she's oh, she's such a babe. I mean, they did ham it up yeah. in hindsight. The whole girl next door thing um, yeah. was like played out to the max with the nighty and the, shh, my dad will hear us. Yeah, but but also like that's the trope of the genre too, so it's all like, you know. Um, but she's a good character because, you know, we were talk- Greg mentioned before, we were talking earlier in the week about uh, – what were we talking about? How did it come up? We were talking about James Cameron and how, you know, he's very self-congratulatory on the strong female characters front. Yet, you know, Alien 1 was Ridley Scott and in the script Ripley wasn't even written as a woman necessarily. Uh, it was, they were all, well, I guess it was written as a man, I suppose. Mm. They weren't like overtly gendered and they just decided to make that one a female. Mm. Um, so he didn't invent Ripley, first of all. One character he did invent was was um, what's her name? Sarakana, uh, which you know he's very quick to pat himself on the back about. But that whole thing of how fucking when you read the original script of how he introduces her in the script, she wasn't really heroin material, was she? So in the first few pages of the script, Sarah Connor is written as nineteen small and delicate features. Pretty in a flawed, accessible way. Accessible. She doesn't stop the, she doesn't stop the party when she walks in. But you'd like to get to know. Her. <laughs> doesn't st- her, you would? <laughs> yeah, but you would. Yeah, couple of beers. Her vulnerable quality masks a strength even she doesn't know exists. So again, obviously this film has nothing to do with the Terminator, but it did just ring a bell. And watching this movie, Sydney's a pretty great character. And I thought this could be a good test we could do moving forward when we have leading ladies to mm. see, you know, from the outset, how have they been written? Are we mm. dealing with good stuff here? And, you know, especially in contrast to that, this one ain't bad. I looked up the script and uh, what did it say? Sydney Prescott, a young girl of 17, sits, her face glued to the computer monitor in front of her, sharp and clever with deep lonely eyes. She's comfortable in a plain flannel nightgown. That's kind of all there is to it. There's not this whole fucking prose about how hot she is and whether you would or not. Like, it's, mm. <laughs> it's I was glad to read that. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think she's a pretty good character, right? Like I think she, she's great. She kicks ass in this. She punches yeah, the she other kicks chick. Ass. She, she still does. It's still fun because she still does the like, you know, she she runs upstairs when she should run out the door and then she does it five minutes later and you know, all that stuff's a bit of fun. Well, look, unless but we've yeah, been man. in that situation, we can't really judge, can we? Fuck, man, I'd yeah, do it. I'd wee my pants. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was going to say, she's, yeah, she's good, she's good. She's good. I like her. I read about her. Did we talk about her sort of career trajectory last time we spoke about her? I can't remember. I don't think we did. Because she kind of... 
She was Miss Horror, wasn't she? And then she kind of disappeared a little bit. Um, and, you know, she mm. is one of those actresses, actors that went, oh, I'm getting typecast. I don't want to be a typecast. I want to do other shit. Yeah. And she didn't love LA. She didn't love Hollywood. So she moved to London in it. Ah, oh, right. And started doing theatre and sort of work that interested her. And she loved it because no one really knew who she was. And she was relatively um, anonymous over there. Um, and she's done some interesting work of late. She's, she's sort of back doing, um, you know, larger film productions and things. And yeah. Doing some interesting bits and pieces and being getting a bit of uh, critical acclaim too. So we certainly haven't seen the last of Neve Campbell. Damn right. I mean, she played The Rock's wife at some point, didn't she? Did she? In that Die Hard But It's The Rock movie. Which one's that? It's all of them, isn't it? You know, as the director said, you know, you got Die Hard, you got uh, the towering Frodo, and, and this is you know, a combination of both. But, but, but wait, you've only got one leg. And I said, <laughs> you're a crazy motherfucker, I'm in. <laughs> That's already an interview where he pretty much said that. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, so he has one leg. Yeah, right. For, for no reason, he's got one leg. Um, but well, she's, it shows it, his but range. she's apparently good in that. I'm never going to watch that. I'll watch it um, now. I watch it on a flight or something. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. a flight movie. Uh, and I think some of the beauty of the cast here is it runs deep. I think like you got your, your Jamie Kennedy is great. Matthew Lillard is great. Rose McGowan, she's cool. The the Matthew Lillard bit. He just a uh, little bit overdone in that final scene. Yeah, yeah. He, I saw an interview with him talking about it. He's like, what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> I look at that now and I'm like, I'm like, oh. And are they meant to why be am lovers? I spitting so much? He's literally like full crazy spit. And then he's I think like. It, I think it was like one of his first movies or something. Yeah. I he's like know, cuddling he's over the shoulder of <laughs> Skeet. <laughs> like his chin resting on his. The other guy's clavicle yeah. from behind just me. <laughs> we're killing everyone. <laughs> it's that's why the scary movie's so good when he goes, We're gay. <laughs> and he goes, I'm not gay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? The dropping ship to San Francisco. <laughs> what about our night in our night in Vermont? Hey, you sucked my dick. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, sorry. Uh, but oh, it, I was, watch scary it movie. was yeah, I watched scary movie before this, but um he yeah he's he's a bit a bit ott in that scene to a point where yeah. you're like what are you doing? It's one of those ones too, which I think is maybe even an unintentional trope that I always struggle with is like a character completely changing once they're revealed to be the killer, like they just act crazier. Mm. It's like if you're that crazy, you couldn't just pretend to be normal. I mean, he's all he's a little bit weird throughout the whole movie, of course, but mm. it gets to such an over the top point. <laughs> Fully. <laughs> what the fuck is he doing? Oh, but I love that guy. I love that actor, man. He seems like a really I've, – I've seen him interviewed. I think we must have done another movie with him. I can't remember what. And I must have gone down a rabbit hole. And he just seems like a lovely dude. Yeah, he's like a Obviously family Obviously he man. became – yeah, and he became like a, a perfect – a pitch perfect Shaggy. And he does the voice on the animated series and shit yeah, now. Yeah, he's got a body of work as Shaggy that – would fill a career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he could just be Shaggy. Although he got fucked because they made a new animated movie and they didn't cast any of the TV series in the movie, including himself. So, like, that's bullshit. He is Shaggy. He's mm. Shaggy, man. Mm. Motherfuckers. Um, a few deep cuts. Henry Winkler 
I forgot he was in this all together. Uh, he's just such an interesting dude. He's like <laughs> he played the coolest guy in the world and then never played a cool guy again ever in, <laughs> ever in anything. He's so um, – What about so, Waterboy? This, he's pretty cool in Waterboy. I can't really remember. Wasn't he nice? <laughs> he's not cool. He's full weird. The guy gets teased and they picture him as a bait. Oh, no. Remember he picture, yeah. oh, right. pictures them as babies at the end. It's was so he the weird. coach? He's the coach of the shit team that Bobby Fuck, Boucher I saves. Seen, I can't even remember that. I need to watch that. We should do that soon. Is that in, the, in our era? Yeah, it would be. I think I'm going to hate it, unfortunately, but we'll see. Um, Abdullah Ablanga. But I, you know, so A, I forgot he was in it, and B, I, for, I don't think I picked up on what a weirdo his character was when I first saw it as a kid. Like he's, he's, he's pointing a knife at the kids. Yeah. <laughs> you, this gen- fucking generation, you little shits. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I don't think you get away with that these days. No. Bring back the 90s. <laughs> what the fuck oh, psycho. That's what the teachers are saying. I reckon te- <laughs> teachers watch that and they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. I'd love to do that. Yeah, bring back the knifey days. Mm. Oh. They, used to sp- they used to hit kids with a ruler back in the day, mm. our parents' generation. Mm. Jesus, can you imagine that? Well, my brother in his first year of high school, which would have been, oh, fuck, maybe 93? No, oh, yeah. Earlier, 90, I don't know, something like that. He... Um, mm. They were just phasing out the cane because he nearly got it once. Fuck. He was shitting himself, but he didn't get it. They were in that war. We still Fuck. have to do this or we're not going to do it anymore. So it was probably like still legal but not necessarily Yeah, yeah and I think acceptable. they just made like yeah. a – they were literally in the process of making a call not to do it anymore. So he, his knuckles – It's all, pretty fucking wild, hey. Can't even imagine that. Hmm. Whack him. Yeah, shit. And I guess there would have been so many teachers even when we were at high school that, that had done, used to cane people. Yeah, <laughs> had done it for the majority of their career and they're like, now I can't yeah. hit you, what am I going to do? Fuck, that's fascinating. Make a movie about that. Mm. Story by. One real deep cut I want to acknowledge is the voice itself. Go on. Roger, Roger Jackson? I don't know. I don't know about this. Well, this is – so the voice – Obviously in the movie it's positioned as a voice converter thing, but it's a guy. That's his voice. He, he's a voice actor. And apparently they just used it because he actually spoke to the actors on set live on the phone. And initially they were just using it as a placeholder. And they were like, and they were going to, you know, replace it with something else later. And they were like, fuck, this is pretty good though, eh? And so he stayed in the movie and he's like the Pharrell Williams of horror movies. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pharrell used to just like, Include his voice on the uh, the, the the demo track, mm. and then they would keep it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's a bit different to DJ Khaled's. Yeah, it's a little more subtle, mm. a little more subtle. But this guy was—he is, he does heaps of shit. He was in Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory, oh, a bunch yeah. of video games. Thought he was familiar. Mass Effect, Minecraft, Fallout Four. He's in them all. He's done them all. My name is Optimus Prime. Not him. Just what was his name? Something. Cullum. Kurt. Callum. Callum. Mm, I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he spoke to them live on set. So they reacted to a real conversation and they'd never met him. Oh, nice. So, so they, they, they made it like, you know, a little, a little mysterious, a little spooky. 
and it all worked out quite well. The other week, Greg, you know how we did, well, A, I think it's great that we did this movie now, having now done our foundational work in some of the classics because I think we had, we both had a few gaps mm-hmm. in some of those, Halloween especially. Mm-hmm. Now that we've rounded out our kind of general knowledge base in the genre, I think it it, it, mm-hmm. it makes this movie hit all the right notes. And interestingly, when we did our little Halloween spooktacular back in uh, November last year, October, November, October. October. Yeah, October. Halloween's in October. It's in October. And, uh, every year. Every, every year. Well, yeah, depending on the moon, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Repeater. Uh, repeater, of course. Um, and we talked about our Mount Rushmore of slashes and I didn't even consider Ghostface from Scream. I didn't even consider. It wasn't even in my consideration set. Mm. And I was like, why, why wouldn't I have thought of that? Why? And I think I just thought it felt too new and not classic enough yet, but it's fucking 25 years old. It's only like mm. 10 or so years older than Freddy and shit, like, mm. or f- like five years older than Chucky or something. I don't know, I'm getting these dates wrong. But, you know, it's not that much newer than any of those. And it was a rebirth of a genre. It introduces a whole lot of new concepts, a pretty unique concept being that in each movie it's actually a different killer. So this idea of someone taking the mantle. Aha. These are all unique things that I think it brings to the genre. And I I think previously on my Mount Rushmore, I may have had just, you know, Freddie, Michael Myers and just a bunch of other stabby stabbies. But I think I might put, I I think I might put Ghostface up there for all the reasons I just mentioned. There's a unique thing here that he brings to the, he or she brings to the table that is, is notably different to all of those others. What about the leprechaun? Oh, the leprechaun. Did I have him on there? He's a good he's, he's no. a bit of fun. He's at he's at the bottom of Mount Rushmore. They're like, ah, oh, you bastards, let me up there. Um, I, I might put Ghostface up there. Okay. So so maybe it's Freddie, Michael Myers, Ghostface, and then maybe Leatherface. I don't know. Uh, maybe I don't have a fourth. Who do I have before? Chucky, maybe. There was talk of Chucky. I don't know. There was talk of Chucky. Yeah, so, you know, putting that out there, I know that's important for everyone to hear. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. But I think it speaks to a larger point, which is, fuck, this This is a classic now. This is mm. a 25-year sequel. This is like when they made a Halloween H2O like 20 years late. Like this is, we're in mm. classic territory now with this one. It's I feel like it's mm. it, it kind of elevated to classic without me really noticing, I suppose. It's done sneaked up on you. It done did, man. It done did. Um, one notable mention, not a big topic, but uh, the slowed down version of Don't Fear the Reaper in the soundtrack is pretty cool. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I enjoyed that. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, the uh, the theme song or the title track for this film is the same as the Peaky Blinders. Oh, is it? Intro song. Peaky mm. fucking blinders. Intr- I haven't watched that. I hear it's good. By order of the Peaky Blinders. I, can't, I need a new show because I'm going to finish Succession tonight, I think. Oh, yeah? You watched Dope Sick? No, not yet. Have you watched it? It looks good. No, I've heard a few reports now. Yeah, yeah, Timmy, I might do Timmy it. Timmy Bowen and another mate have been spruiking it. Yeah. It's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Yeah, I might check that one out. Hey, should we get into the, into the verdict on this one? Yeah, let's do it. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again. Say what 
again. I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. And overall thought for me uh, off the dome, I would say, yeah, man, as per my Mount Rushmore um, revisions, this is higher in my, in my, I don't know, endless list of good films than, than I had initially thought. It's good stuff. Mm. I did watch it last Halloween, actually, I forgot to mention, and I think just my initial reaction to that rewatch, even before watching it this week, I was like, fuck, this is tight. Again, watching it mm. in the mix with all those other classics, I think it hit harder than it ever had. And uh, I think I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's absolutely rewatch. I'm really keen to see the new one now. Yes, I'm very keen to see the new one as well, mm. <clears throat> which I'll endeavour to do. Yeah. Um, it's in cinemas now. What about you, Greg? How's, how's this? Is this a rewatch for you? Yeah, this is a great movie. It's a great movie. It just all the notes come together just so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Just so. So go, it's all, in a, if you're in Australia, they're all on Stan. Not ironically, it's a tight package. <laughs> it's the Gale Weathers of films. Um, did Sydney Prescott or any of the other girls in these movies. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you one thing that was interesting actually. Mm. Um, the It was very white and I noticed when I was watching Scary Movie 2 that they yeah they definitely endeavoured to correct that. Straight away. Well, by that you mean they introduced two black characters that died immediately. Yeah. And then she had a black friend as well. I was thinking that actually, I was I was thinking that on Scream 2, it would have been interesting if they did something with that, like more overtly. All right, you want some black people? Here's some black people. They're going to get stabbed too. Yeah, or like. What happened? Have, uh, yeah, have something that addresses that they've just kind of uh given her a token black friend because that character didn't really even have much to do at all no it was very it was all very token yeah so but it was it felt like a really like like a oh you were yeah yeah like not in a knowing way like not in like i see what we did there like none of that's there it's not great (laughs) it's not a self-aware thing um no yeah (laughs) it's not good and then by scream three yeah it was all white again Weird. <laughs> uh, did Simpsons do it? There's some visual gags, but there's not really anything clip worthy mm. that I could mm. find. Mm. Porn parody. Let's have a look. I mean, there's a bunch actually. They're just called Scream a Porn Parody. Wow, there's a lot. Whoa, okay. There you go. Holy dooly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it passes that. <laughs> Okay, let's race through this so we can leave Tristan alone with his <laughs> thoughts. Well, let's just say Special they weren't effects. all necessarily uh, my – I'm not the target audience on all of those. Oh, oh, that's confronting. Porn parody, Bechdel test, man, almost. I, I think there's – um, I don't know. Fuck, man, yeah, it passes because they talk about Sydney's mom. Like Gail and Sydney talk about her mom and like there's all kinds of conversations. Yeah. There's heaps. There's – there's heaps. The friend. Yeah, there's heaps. Yeah, fuck yeah. This pa- this legit passes. Flying colours. And I also do, I enjoy the dynamic of between Gail and Sydney, how they kind of hate each other, but then they work together at the end. Mm, and by the beginning mm. of the second movie, they hate each other again. Like it's, each other I again. do like that. Mm, it's nice. It's not too like, like oh, and then we just had other. to work together and we all learned a lesson. It's like, no, we still don't like each other. And then we go pick flowers or whatever girls do. Yeah. 
Um, FX test. I mean, it's not really an FX type movie, but uh, I mean, there was some blood. Corn syrup. Yeah. My MVP has to go to David Arquette's Dewey. That was a mm. tough one. Everyone's so good in this movie, but I just think that character and then learning that so much of what that character became was his his take on it was that's, I yeah, gotta that's give fair. it to him. I mean, let's be honest, I'm probably not giving it to David Arquette in any other movie. Oh. Wow. Savage. Well, I don't say that way with to, hate. Ruin, I just I don't even way to know. Ruin the compliment. I don't know if I could name many other David Arquette movies. You know he is a certified Bob Ross painting instructor? No. An interesting guy. And he's a wrestler. Interesting guy. Interesting guy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting guy. How about you? MVP? Oh, mm. uh, I'll go Neve Campbell. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Good heroine. Yeah. Kicks ass kicks ass in this. Kicks ass. <laughs> Good film. Good film. Mm. Go watch it. Go watch it. Now next week we're back on our Jean-Claude Van Damme shit. Oh. Knockoff. It's knockoff week. I know everyone's been waiting for knockoff. Big time. Yeah. Some people may have even seen it or heard of it. Um, we saw it. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, we had to watch a low-res version on YouTube, which may have skewed our take on it all. But uh, you can tune in for that next week because we're back, baby. We're mm. back. Welcome to 2022 Double Impact, I suppose we could have said earlier. Uh, all right, gang, leave a review. Take care. Take care. Uh, of yourselves and each other. <laughs> you move, you move the air. Um, see you next week, friends. Stay safe. <laughs>